crash course on eternity in 30 minutes. <laughs> I actually felt like this morning in worship we got a special glimpse of eternity. We got a special glimpse. You know, heaven, um, worship doesn't stop. That's one of the things that we start here and that we take with us into eternity forever. We are going to be worshippers. Um, <clears throat> this isn't part of my word, but I was just reminded um, when Bill Johnson shared the first week after his wife had passed away, he talked about the pain that he was obviously feeling, but he said he, this is the only chance that we have to worship God out of pain because when we get to heaven, there will be no pain. There will be no sorrow. And so whatever you're going through this morning... This is an opportunity to bring an offering to the Lord that is sweet. In the hard place when we worship, that is the sweetest sacrifice. And here on earth is the only opportunity we're going to have to do that. Yeah. Um, the first thing I thought of when Ben actually gave us the question, how does the reality of eternity affect the way we live. And I thought, well, what is the reality of eternity? <laughs> I thought that's the first thing I needed to get right in my own mind. And I came, and this is, this is a very, you, you know, very small glimpse. But for me, the reality of eternity is the fact that the Alpha and Omega, the one who has no end, the God of the universe... The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the one who created me and who knows me, came to earth. He touched my life and he made a way that I might have relationship with him forever and know him in his fullness and I don't think any of us has quite got there yet. I know I don't know God in his fullness. I know I need more of God. I, need, I know I need more of a revelation of who he is. But it doesn't stop there. That's the beginning. And because we've been given an assignment, we're not just saved so that we can go to heaven, but he's called us to be his hands and his feet on the earth to share his love and his truth. Our lives certainly have a beginning, but they do not have an end. Where we spend eternity is dependent on what we do with the truth that's revealed to us, what we do with the person of Jesus. Jesus actually asks his disciples, who do you say that I am? And each one of us has to answer that question. Who do you say that I am? Because that determines where we spend eternity when we say yes to Jesus, when we say yes to the cross, that's where our life really begins and we have an eternity with him. If you're here this morning and you haven't said that yes to Jesus yet, know that your life is eternal. There's a scripture in Ecclesiastes that says that God has planted eternity into the hearts of man. Where we spend that eternity is dependent on us and our decision and how we respond to Jesus. If you haven't done that yet, 
today's the day where the rest of your life can begin by saying yes to him. Who's heard of the term of having a bucket list? (laughs) We have one. We've ticked a few things off ours. Um, But if you knew you only had a day to live, or you only had a week, or you only had a few months to live on this earth, would your life be any different? And I have... um, I've had opportunity to ponder this a little bit more. I have a very close friend um, from work whose husband has just been diagnosed with terminal cancer. And but they're believing. They're believing God is doing something. But in the light of that, being told you perhaps have a couple of months to live, their life came to a drastic halt. And they've done all sorts of things looking at, well, well, what's really important? How do I want to spend this last, these last months, these last weeks on the earth? Um, on the way to out the other day, um, Shane, and almost got, Shane and I almost got squashed between two trucks and a concrete barrier, and it was as close as you would want to come. It was one of those moments where everything went into slow motion. That's how close it was. And... The angels were working overtime that day. It's the only thing we can think of. And Shane did some pretty impressive (laughs) manoeuvring. Shane had a patient this week whose husband died um, tragically. It was in the news um, and very unexpectedly. And as a result, she had a heart condition. She had a heart event and ended up in hospital. Shane was caring for her and came across her one day and she's reading a Gideon's Bible. And Shane said to her, just went up in Shane's way and said, do you know the end of the story? (laughs) And she looked back with a twinkle in her eye, in her grief and in her pain. She said, yes, I do. Thank you, brother. (laughs) Do you know, she had a reality that in spite of the pain, Shane saw an opportunity to bless a woman who was confronted with eternity in a very dramatic sense. And so there's been all of this going on in my life at the moment. That's why I stood, I thought, Lord, I need grace for this season. I need grace for my friend. I need to come with her with words of life and power and hope that that inject something into her situation. I need grace. I need your grace. How does reality affect how we live? It affects everything. Absolutely everything. Who he is affects how we see him. It affects how we see ourselves and how we see other people. And that's what I'm going to focus on this morning. You know, sometimes we get so caught up with our lack or with our problems that we forget, first of all, who God is, but also who he's called us to be. And we can lose sight of the amazing work that he's done. I've been, I've been sitting in my lounge at different times this week, as, you, well, as we all do, but with a specific thought in my mind. And I've just been there with my arms up and worship music playing and overwhelmed with the goodness of God, that he would love me <laughs> and that he would use me to help others.
Um, I was reading something by Christine Kane. She was talking about Gideon. And Gideon's an interesting man in the Bible. He's of an um, insignificant tribe. He felt inadequate. He felt unqualified. And so say all of us. He mentally was stuck on his limitations. In fact, he wasn't even convinced that God was on his side. And he asked for three signs, even though God had shown him, even though an angel was talking to him. He said, God, I need to know it's you. (laughs) You know, God's choice wasn't based on Gideon's faith, his courage, his strength, or his experience. But God chose to use him and to send him and work wonders through him. And Christine Kane asks the question, are you like Gideon? Hmm. Are you focused on what you are not rather than on who God is? We often think we are just being, and this is Christine talking, but I like what she says. (laughs) We often think we are just being realistic or humble when we list our limitations. But contrary to what you might think, we're actually being prideful. If we focus on what we cannot do or who we are not, what we're really saying to God is, my limitations are greater than your power and your strength. Gideon's um, encouragement from the Lord was to go in the strength that you have. And when we walk in the strength that we have, God adds and God multiplies and God works through us. We need to start seeing ourselves as God sees us. Because we can only offer others what we have received and the truth that we're living in. When we focus on who he is and who he's called us to be, we have life to offer. And that's found in his presence. I want to share some of the reality of eternity. I'm going to list them off, and it's just little. We sang one of them today. We're now a citizen of heaven. We're saved by grace. We are no longer sinners, but saints. We are holy. We are made in the image of God. We are redeemed. We are perfect. We are anointed. We are set apart. We are the temple of the Holy Ghost. We are healed. We are delivered. We are and are being restored. We are righteous. We are whole. We are beloved. We are accepted. We are heirs of the Father. Need to remember He's the potter and we're the clay. And to let Him mold into us the things that He wants to. To remember he's faithful to complete the work that he's begun. We are his workmanship, his masterpieces. We are chosen. We are called according to his purposes. And he is in our past, he is in our present, and he is in our future. And where do we get that truth from? From his word and in his presence and in gathering together. I love this. Um, 
I don't know where I got it from, but I have to remind myself of this often. We are made to be human beings, not human doings. Mm. (laughs) I can get caught up, and I know we all can, in what God would want me to do. But God wants me to focus on who he wants me to be. He wants me to be a light. He wants me to be the salt. He wants me to be kind. He wants me to be loving. He wants me to be compassionate. A sermon at the conference was talking about this um, that some of us went to recently. And it was talking about the references about the will of God for our lives in the Bible. And there's actually only a few times where it's talking about what to do and where to go. The will of God in the Bible talks about love one another. This is the will of God in Christ concerning you. Pray for one another. Be compassionate. This is the will of God concerning you. I'd like to look at Isaiah 61 this morning. Because this is what we've received. This is who God is. This is Jesus. But it's also what we've received and it is also now us because he is living in us. It says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favour has come. And with it, the day of God's anger against their enemies. It goes on to talk about rebuilding the ancient ruins and repairing the cities that have been destroyed. It talks about how we're dressed with the clothing of salvation and draped in a robe of righteousness. I am like a bridegroom in his wedding suit or a bride with her jewels. That's how God sees us. It's how he sees us. This talks about the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. You know, when we get saved, the Holy Spirit comes in and dwells in us. We become a temple of the Holy Ghost. But there's something, this is talking about the Holy Spirit being upon us. This is talking about being smeared. Smeared with oil, smeared with his presence. And you know, when something's smeared with oil, it glows. You can tell that there is oil on it. On, on it. And, and that's what we're to be like. His anointing is upon us as we go to others. You know, our world at the moment, there's so much hurt and so much fear. And we often... And we pray and we're looking to God for a solution. It's a good place to start. God has the answer. But he's asked us to be a part of the solution. He's asked us to step out in faith. He's asked us to step into his promises and to be a part of what he is doing. Yes, he can do it sovereignly, but he's chosen to put his anointing in us and on us for a world that is hurting. And God is always redemptive. 2 Corinthians 5 tells us that God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. 
And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. He's given it to us, this message. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. For those of you who don't know, I'm a, at the moment, I'm a grade two and a learning support teacher at a local school. And um, I've got a couple of children in my class. They're just breaking my heart at the moment. And I've actually committed to praying. I mean, I pray for my kids, but I've committed to praying for this particular family every day to see a breakthrough and that I might be a difference in this little boy's life. You know, they're living in situations and dealing with adult issues that, and emotions that we shouldn't be surprised when they act out the way they do because they're not capable of dealing with it. You know, and all of that, there are answers in the natural to that, but I do believe there's spiritual stuff. And I can only be responsible for my part in it. So my challenge... And when you've got a child throwing a chair in your classroom, (laughs) it's a little bit hard to see past the behaviour and see the heart of the child. But that's what God's asking me to do. And to see the child, to see the heart, to see the potential and to see the possibilities and to make a difference in that little boy's life. I don't believe it's by chance that he's in my class. And, and we've all got people like this in our lives. It's not by chance that you have the rowdy neighbour beside you. <laughs> For those who had a rowdy party in their street last night. You know, it's not by chance that you're the person in the cubicle beside you at work is there. It's for a reason that God has got you there. He wants you to make a difference. And um, I read a uh, scripture this week that I know really well. Um, but I was a bit blown away. I'm sorry if I'm, I'm a little bit. I'm, I've actually been not overcome in a sense of, oh God, this is too big. But overcome in a sense, God with you, this is possible. This is possible. Do you know, and it's as we catch a glimpse of heaven, as we catch a glimpse of eternity and the truth of what he's done and who he is and what he's deposited in us, that then we go and make a difference. So I'm going to read. This is about the woman caught in adultery. John chapter 8. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. They humiliated her publicly. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her, full stop. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him, but Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, 
So he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. How significant in this, in this story, this history, that those who knew the law all, but all disappeared. And how even more significant is the fact that Jesus was left standing. He who was without sin, he actually told them, he who was without sin can throw the first stone. Jesus was without sin and could have, according to the Lord, justifiably stoned the woman and condemned her. But instead... He chose compassion and forgiveness. He didn't ignore the sin, and he did address it. But he offered an answer that secured her eternity with him. He saw the person. He focused on her and not the sin. His love and compassion brought the woman to a place of repentance. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. When we focus on sin in ourselves and in others, or when our focus is only on our problems, it puts that in the front of us rather than the value a person holds or who God is. It stops us from seeing God potential and it stops us from seeing God's heart for the lost. Um, I have worn glasses <laughs> since I was 10 years old. <clears throat> and I remember vividly going to the optometrist and getting them on and um, walking out the door. And I, <laughs> um, for those of you who wear glasses, you'll, you'll get this. I um, walked out the door and just about fell over because suddenly the road was closer. <laughs> And it was a step, and I did. I actually stumbled out because my perception was all wrong. And everything I saw was out of focus, and I didn't know it. I'm going to my dancing lesson with a friend, and I said, oh, you can actually read the name on the bus. <laughs> I had never been able to read the name on the bus, and I thought that was normal. Stacy said to me this morning, she goes, Mum, you've got a big scratch down the middle of your glasses. And I do, and I have noticed it. But those of you who wear glasses, you can be thinking, oh, my head's a bit sore, or things are out of focus, I need to get an eye check, or something. And you take your glasses off, and you, yeah, there they are. And you go, oh, mm, they're really dirty. I'm hearing, mm. <laughs> yeah, those of you who wear glasses know. Everyone else can see the scratches on my glasses. 
everyone else can see that my glasses are dirty, but they're actually too close to my vision for me to notice. There are times when there's a big smudge that I think, oh, my glasses are filthy and I need to clean them. But just like we have, and I do have an appointment in a couple of weeks for a new pair of glasses. But just as we have checks for our natural vision, there are things that we can check our spiritual vision. Because when we get caught up in the sin and in our problems, it's like wearing a pair of dirty glasses on our heart and over our spirit. And it fails us to see things clearly in the spirit. I have to admit that more times than I'd like, I find myself judging even my own actions, even my own behaviour. And not just people that are strangers. Sometimes the people that we're most critical with are the ones that are closest to us. And I'm praying, Lord, help me see as you see. Help me love as you love, to have an eternal perspective on the people around me. Not just people I know, but help me, Lord, to see people after the Spirit. Help me see the work that you are doing in people's lives. Help me to see what you see. Help me to see the potential. Jesus came with compassion to save the sick You know, the word is very clear, very clear about sin and how to live a righteous and a clean and a pure life. I'm not negating that. The word is very clear. And we need to make sure that we're keeping short accounts and we're we're confessing our sin and we're walking before the Lord with the right heart. But our assignment is to bring the good news, not judgment, not condemnation. And I hear there is so much in the world that we can have a view on. There is so much happening in our world that the Bible is really clear about. But I don't believe God wants us pointing a finger at those situations and those people. He's asked us to be his hands and his feet. He's asked us to bring compassion to those people. He's asked us to love them. He's asked us to bring the truth of living for him to those people. To see captives set free. I want to be one who provides space for people to have an encounter with God. And really the only the place where that starts is me having an encounter with him. Yeah. We're human doings. No, we're not. Yes, we're not human doings. We're human beings. (laughs) We're human beings. To be in his place, to be in his presence, to be who he's called us to be. A quote from Bill Johnson that I have been meditating on lately is, I owe the world a spirit-filled life, for I owe them an encounter with God. Freely I have received. My response must be, freely I give. When I reflect on who he is and what he's done in my life, I can't help but share that. 
I can't help but give that and want other people to experience that freedom. Ephesians 5.18 says, Be careful how you live. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. It's almost like it's written for today, isn't it? Be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music in your hearts to the Lord. Give thanks for everything to God, the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Micah 6 verse 8 tells us the Lord has told you what is good and this is what he requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. You know, I hesitate to say what that looks like for you. This isn't a list of do this and this will happen. But I do know where it's found. It's found in his presence. And my encouragement this morning is get into his presence. Get that eternal perspective. Let it change. Let it change how we see God, how we see ourselves. Be who he's called us to be. And let that impact how we see others. And then how we give them grace, how we give them compassion. Let him refocus our spiritual vision. Let him be honoured in our lives. You know, our cry is, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He does that through us. He does it through us as we have his perspective. That's my notes, but I don't feel like God's finished. (laughs) I really felt in worship this morning that God... God wants to do something, I'm not quite sure how or what that looks like. But he wants us to see heaven. So that we can be heaven on earth, so that we can be that gateway. I wonder if Stacy, you'd come and play. And... um, Just maybe spend some time in the presence of the Lord and let him speak to your heart. Let him show you who he is and remind you of who you are. Let him put someone on your heart that you need to be Jesus to this week. Make a commitment to be in his presence. It's not just our quiet times, whenever you do that. It's to be aware of his presence. My prayer for a couple of years has been, Lord, help me to be more aware of your presence. Help me to be more aware of your prompting. 
Glorious Lord. Give us eyes to see who you are, that we might know who you've called us to be, that your grace in us makes us perfect and fit for everything you call us to do. We want to be your hands and we want to be your feet. That we might bring eternity into our world and to those around us. Love you, Lord. We want to honour you. We want to glorify you in everything. In everything we do. Help us to be. <laughs> 